Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there. There's Dave C., the guest producer extraordinaire. That's right. Um, and this is Stuff You Should Know about... Wait, don't go anywhere. <laughs> Student loans. No, yeah. really don't go anywhere. Yeah, this is... Uh... This is pretty dry. I mean, we'll add our funnies. Uh, no, we won't. Okay. We'll add our funnies like we always do, but uh, there's no getting around it that this is one of those Stuff You Should Know episodes that sort of falls under the banner of PSA, sure, a little public service announcement for Pe- people to learn about something that they may not get, but it's just not scintillating. Right. How's that to drive people away? I really think you you hooked them. <laughs> For sure. No, listen for the funnies. And hey, man, if you're uh, out there mm-hmm. and you don't understand student loans, don't know what you're getting into, if you're or, a high school student. Yeah, or if you're already drowning in debt. Already drowning in debt, we'll pay that debt for you. Yep. <laughs> Just send us an email with your monthly bills and we'll pay them all off. No, this should really clear up a lot of that stuff, though, because um, it's it's not complicated, but there's just a lot to it. Yeah, but like the how we got into this place because, yes, there's student loans and applying for student loans mm-hmm. and, you know, what you should know. But then there's also what you should know about after that when you join this 45 million this big club. student loan <laughs> debt holders or debt owers yeah. um, who owe, like, $1.6 trillion worth of debt. And, yeah. like, a lot of that, about a trillion of it, I think, a little less than a trillion – has been generated since like 2010. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of uh, progressives in this country that say you want to really kickstart the economy in a long, permanent way. Mm-hmm. Just forgive all these student debts. Yeah, and other people say you're a communist. <laughs> Some people do. Um, yeah. You know, I should uh, go ahead and preface this with my personal experience. I did not get a student loan. Mm-hmm. I went to school and college. You were a little behind me, but uh, it wasn't as big of a thing back then. No, I saw in the 90s the average student loan debt for a bachelor degree. Not a year, mm-hmm. not a minute. Mm-hmm. A, a bachelor's degree was nine grand. Yeah. College used to be a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, state universities are still, you know, not the most expensive. But when I was going to University of Georgia, dude, it was like, Tuition for a full load for a quarter was something like six hundred dollars. Yeah, it's not that much money. You can pay it in like pot, (laughs) especially at Georgia. So when my parents uh, got divorced, part of the divorce was them uh, selling a couple of things. Like we had an Airstream camper and uh, like things that clearly the family wouldn't be using anymore. Uh Uh, And so they agreed, like, let's sell these couple of things and. Chuck's the last one going through because my brother, of course, had an academic scholarship. Of course. Didn't have to pay for anything. No. Uh, Chuck, he needs that money for school because he's, he's not a, getting anything. He needs that camper money. <laughs> I needed that camper money. So they said, let's put that in an account for Chuck to go to school. Uh, that lasted me a two or th- two or three years, I the think. The camper money did? Yeah, because Georgia was so cheap. Man. It was a heck of a camper, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Georgia was really cheap, and I was and living there was cheap, and books were pretty cheap. Yeah. Uh, so that lasted me a few years, and then after that, I just, um, you know, I've been working since I was 13 anyway. I was going to say you had a job throughout to help yeah. you with, like, living stuff, right? Totally. Yeah. Um, and I just kept 
paying for my college after that. It wasn't like some big like, hey, I'm going to pay for my school starting from now. Mm-hmm. I was just like, well, that money's gone, so I need to – I'm not going to ask my parents for it. Like mm-hmm. I've been working since I was a teenager. They sold their camper. So I'll just keep working and pay for my my remaining education. Yeah. And it was not that big of a deal. I lived very well in college. You know what that's called is pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, 90s style. <laughs> I don't even feel like it was, though. I was just like, hey, I wait tables. I make pretty good money. But I can afford that 600 bucks a quarter. The thing is, is like the idea of being able to live as a college student mm-hmm. and pay for college and feel like you're doing fine, mm-hmm. waiting tables I had tons today of money. I know. Is... Out, it's just outrageous, outlandish, out yeah, everything. I cannot imagine leaving Georgia with thirty to ninety thousand dollars of student debt. Right. I cannot imagine that. And that's well, that's one of the things that makes all of those people who say, "Like you whiners, you took out these loans, you owe them. We paid off our student loans when we went to school." All those older people who are saying that are missing the point that college has gotten way more expensive mm-hmm. in the last ten. Ten, about 10-ish years yeah. for um, a lot of different reasons, but it turns out largely because of an Obama-era initiative to make higher education accessible to more people. Mm-hmm. There were just a couple of safeguards that were put in place that really let this thing run rampant. Yeah. Um, and that if you say, like, like I paid off my student loans with no problem, mm-hmm. why can't you? You're missing the point that, that it, it's different. It's a different world yeah. now. Things are different. And it used to be before when you had your first real piece of lifelong or long-term debt. It was a mortgage for a house. Yep. You were paying for that house, and you were virtually guaranteed that at the end of that mortgage, that last mortgage payment, what you paid for that house was going to be less than what the house was worth then. It was an investment. Right. Now we're putting out teenagers into the world Mm. who have, in some cases, mortgage-level debt. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, without having any income yet whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. And when they pay off that last bit of debt, th- th- there's nothing that was of value necessarily associated with it mm-hmm. because they had to get a college degree just to try to get a job. Yeah. Whereas before it was like you you got a college degree and you, you automatically were going to get a, a good paying job or certainly a better paying job than you would have gotten with a high school diploma. It's a different world now. Definitely. You you probably didn't get a student loan either, did you? No, I luckily didn't need them. Yeah. They, they had the um, uh, what was that grant that I the think, lottery paid for? Yeah, I think when you came along, that was in place. That started right as I was leaving. I think first year for me was it the Pell or was it no. the? It was the Georgia lottery pays for yeah. it. Uh, oh man, I can't remember. I can't remember the name of it either. But it was a kind of grant that, like, like yeah, you had basically a free ride in school if your GPA yeah. was high enough. At, at an in-state school. That's right. Great deal. Yeah, and if you are a student Hope now— Hope Grant. Hope Grant. Hope, that's it. Hope Because I just remembered all the parents saying, you better not lose that Hope Grant. <laughs> I, I think it was like, a, was it 3.0 or something, 3.2? Something like that. Couldn't something follow. definitely attainable. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, our first bit of advice, we're, we're going to pepper some advice in here as old old dudes. Oh, also, I should say, shout out to my dad. He did. Once I inevitably lost the Hope Grant, right. he stepped in and helped pay for college for me. Yeah, the herbal Elvis. Yeah. So uh, we want to give out a few pieces of advice here and there. Um, avoid taking student loans if you can. Yeah. Try and get uh, as much free money as you can, grants, scholarships. Well, what I don't get is why so many parents of these children 
didn't set them up for college. What do you mean? Start saving for college. Like, oh, I see. By the time my daughter's graduating high school, all her college is going to be ready to go. So, if she wants to go to college, right? Um, one of the things that this this Obama era initiative to expand higher education, mm-hmm. um, one of the purposes of it was to make it so that people lower income families mm-hmm. um, had an easier opportunity to go to college. Yeah. So they basically said, come all who want to borrow sure. money to go to college, yeah, yeah, yeah. regardless of your ability to repay. Well, go finish, but I want to amend my statement. Okay. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> and so so um, a lot of people who started to get to go to college, their families didn't have any money to put them through school. Yeah, yeah. So um, they, I think for people whose parents had been planning for it, very little changed. Mm-hmm. But it was that an entire tranche of Americans that hadn't really had much access to higher education mm-hmm. all of a sudden did starting in 2010. Yes. To be crystal clear, was not talking about those people. You were pulling like, Why didn't their parents just set them up? The Mitt Romney thing, right? <laughs> Remember when he said that? Uh, no. Oh, he was like, why don't you just go borrow the money from your parents? Oh, that's right. When he was confronted. Binders full of women. <laughs> right. Uh, was that Romney who had binders full oh, of women? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Forever. No, I'm talking about the uh, the tranche of kids whose parents could afford to save money for their kids' college and right. did not. Yeah. Because that know. is a tranche. I don't know. I think one of the other things, maybe there are a lot of parents who are like, you know what? This is your education. You pay for it yourself. I think there are also a lot of selfish people in that generation of parents, sure. narcissists who uh, did not plan for that stuff for their children right? because they were busy taking care of themselves. They blew it all on pot. Hey, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that, but I just want to make it clear. I was not talking about uh, less fortunate people that totally. are now able to go to school. I think that was good that you amended that. Okay. But if anybody <laughs> didn't know that, that you weren't saying that, they haven't listened to stuff you should know very That's long. That's true. We haven't even started this podcast yet. <laughs> I know, man. It's going to be three hours long. No, we'll, we'll blaze through this. Uh, there are different types of student loans. Uh, the main two big groups are federal student loans and then private sector student loans. And so, so again, after you've exhausted all chances for grant, scholarship, any kind of free money. Grandma. Then you turn to granddad. loans. Right. The first ones you want to turn to are the federal governments because the loans you get from them are top quality as far as <laughs> you're, you're being a borrower is concerned. That's right. And there are a few different kinds of those. Uh, there are direct subsidized, direct unsubsidized, and direct plus. Plus is capitalized all the way across. Uh, subsidized direct loans. Um, the Department of Education is your lender. I didn't know any of this stuff. Well, it's new. Yeah, I mean, I was just surprised at some of this stuff. It's I think. not. It's not. I'm sorry. It's not new. These remember Stafford Stafford loans. Yeah, that's what they used to call direct loans. Okay, I remember so those. It's basically the same thing, but yeah. it's just radically expanded since 2010. Okay, so I don't. I don't feel as old as I thought. No, there you go. So. <laughs> Um, the Department of Education is going to cover the interest under a few circumstances. Uh, and the interest is you're going to hear that word a lot. That's a big deal with any kind of loan or credit that yeah. you get. Yeah. That's, that's where they get you. And this is specifically the direct subsidized loan that they will cover the interest on. That's right. If uh, you were in school at least part-time, uh, uh, that is one, during the first six months after you leave school, don't even have to graduate, mm-hmm. but you've 
either graduated or, or disenrolled or whatever, unenrolled. <laughs> been dishonorably Quit. disenrolled. Uh, or if your loans are in deferment. Um, only undergraduates can get these. They are based on financial need. Yeah. And the school is going to say how much you can borrow. You can't just say like, yeah, tuition's ten grand, but I'd really like thirty. Well, even if even if you could do that, these things are capped because yeah. the interest is covered by the Department of Ed, like you were saying, which is a big deal. So if you go to school full time for four years and get your bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. that whole time you are not accruing a penny of interest. Yeah, and that's a big, big deal. Huge deal. But there's a cap on this on the amount that you can borrow. Right. If you're a dependent student, meaning that your parents still claim you as a dependent on their taxes and they could conceivably help you out or whatever. Mm-hmm. They um, don't have campers to sell. Exactly. <laughs> or they've sold all the campers and now they're tapped out. Yeah. Um, th- you can conceivably borrow um, $3,500 and have it be subsidized. Correct. And I think over the course of your college career, it's something like uh, $23,000 or something. No, I'm sorry. It's um, $31,000 for a four-year degree um, that could possibly be subsidized, okay. which, as we'll see, is not enough to cover a four-year degree basically anywhere these days. No. So, I, didn't, I didn't tell you what the second thing they sold, though, by the way. What? We had a food truck. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is pre-food truck. It was a trailer. You didn't even call it a food truck. You know what it was called? What? The food factory. What what kind of food? So my dad and my mom would go to these <laughs> arts and crafts festivals and set up and sell like hot dogs and hamburgers and popcorn and stuff. And they still got a divorce after that kind of experience <laughs> together. Some might say it had a direct correlation. <laughs> you burn the popcorn again. So they sold the Airstream in the food factory. Wow. Wait, so would they sleep in the Airstream and the, like, the food factory would tow the Airstream? No, no, no. These were just local things. Oh, okay. So you go set up for the weekend at the Yellow Daisy Festival and sell hamburgers all weekend to Rednecks. Did they do it for fun? No, they did it to make money. My dad was always trying to make extra money. He uh-huh. always had these, uh, I don't know about get-rich-quick schemes because sure. they weren't. <laughs> right. But make a, just enough money to cover the cost schemes. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was always— Break-even schemes? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. My brother's kind of the same way, but he's actually smart. Right. And— uh it <laughs> does make money on the side. Sure. And uh, spends it on pinball machines. I said way too much. Uh, direct unsubsidized. I know. Our Wikipedia page is going <laughs> to oh, really God. expand soon. So annoying. Uh, these uh, unsubsidized direct loans, you can get uh, undergraduate and graduate students. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are not based on your financial need, uh, even though the school is still going to say how much you can borrow. Uh, it can't be more than the cost to attend the school, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interest rate is probably pretty low, but you are going to pay interest, and they are accruing interest over the life of the loan. Right. Um, that's a big deal. It's it's basically like like you're you're it's you're still accruing interest, so it's like a regular loan. Yeah. But what makes it so much more attractive than say like a, a private loan, which we'll talk about, is that the interest rate is fixed and it's low. So yeah, the it's government's low. like, we're not trying to like screw you over or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We're gonna loan you money. It's still a loan, but mm-hmm. we're gonna make the terms pretty good. Right. So but just bend over and we'll make a deposit. You're still going to wow, we <laughs> we're they're like Teens getting ready for college <laughs> listening to this with their parents right now. They get it. Yes. Kids, ask your parents what Chuck just meant. They get it. Um, 
Okay, so there's direct subsidized, there's direct unsubsidized, and then there's the one that comes from the federales that most resembles like a regular private lender bank loan. That's the direct plus loans. Do you know what plus stands for? No. I should have looked that up. Uh, This is a How Stuff Works article, by the way. Yeah. Very thorough. Um, I wasn't telling you. (laughs) I want to know, though, now, too. Uh, Just keep. All right, so you look that up, but rare in show, look up. Best in show, look up. Federal student loans, these are the direct plus. They are federal student loans um, borrowed by your parents or uh, if you're a graduate student or a professional student, let's say. I've got it. What is it? Parent loan for undergraduate student. Oh, well, there you have it. Okay, but it doesn't really make sense in a second. Uh, really? Mm-hmm. What am I missing then? No, no, just go ahead. Okay. Um, if your parents are eligible, it's just going to be based like a regular loan on their, their credit score right. and that kind of thing. Right. And the cost of attendance where you're going to be going to school or enrolling in school is going to set that limit again, kind of like the other ones. But your parents are just taking this loan. And these are unsubsidized. So They're unsubsidized. You can interest. also borrow for an entire education. And you can also use them not just for undergrad but for graduate school too, mm-hmm. which is why it doesn't make sense because the grad plus loan means graduate parent loan for undergraduate students. Mm. Somebody didn't think that one through. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Obama. But with, with, the, with the plus loans um, – that cost of attendance is a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And it's true with any loan. Every school you go to has a cost of attendance. And every year they calculate how much it costs for everything, for tuition, mm-hmm. fees, books, transportation, room and board, room and board mm-hmm. everything, how much it will cost the average little beer, person. A little weed. Sure. Pot. <laughs> um, to, to go to the school for a year. Uh-huh. But the problem, and you can borrow up to that amount. You can't borrow past it, but you can borrow up to that amount. So you can say, I'm borrowing, and I don't need to spend a penny other than what I borrowed. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is it may cost you less to go to school than that average amount. Yes. And so you've borrowed up to that amount, which means you're paying interest on money you don't need. Mm -hmm. And there's... When you get these loans, there's a lot of different things, uh, a lot of different processes that, are gonna, that it's going to go through. But the upshot of all of them is it doesn't come to you. Mm-hmm. It goes to the school. Never knew that. I didn't either. But the school says, okay, let's deduct for this and this and then this. Mm-hmm. And, oh, they have this scholarship, so we can take that out. They have this grant, we can take that out. And let's say that there's some money left over. Then they will send you a check or deposit it directly into your account. That's right. But when they do that, you would be very wise to say, no, 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 you guys hold on to this. I'm going to use it for next year. Yeah, you can just roll that right on over. That's the best thing you could do with a bad situation. Mm -hmm. The reason it's a bad situation is because you have borrowed too much and now you are paying interest on money that's just sitting there for a year mm-hmm. in the school's coffers. They're yeah. actually making money off of that interest. You're paying interest on that money you're not using until next year. So the best thing you can do is really try to calculate as best you can down to the penny mm-hmm. how much money you really need to borrow and borrow that amount and not just borrow the cost of attendance because it might be less than that. Yeah, is the school really making money on that? On, uh... Sure, yeah. Anytime any institution has money that they're holding, they make interest off of it. I didn't know if it was like an escrow situation. I don't know. All right. I don't know. That's a good point. So That's a great point. Oh, I thought you were – you said you knew for sure. You just were thinking, hey, they got the money in the bank. They're making some money Basically, on it. Basically, yeah, <laughs> okay. like Tony from Jersey would think. <laughs>
<laughs> so uh, here's the deal. If you – some private schools are really, really expensive. Yeah. Uh, you might not be able – even if you max out, you may not be able to cover the cost of your school. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Here's some more advice from your Uncle Chuck. Don't go to one of those schools. <laughs> yeah? Just don't do it. Oh, man. Go to a school you can afford. Yeah. Because you know what? Doesn't matter. The one thing I saw. You get that college degree. Right. How many people have been like, oh, well. you? I mean, I'm, there are some prestigious schools, sure, where that really does matter. That, that but 90% of them, yeah. I don't think it really matters. I think it's more the, the networking that's available to you at really? those schools. That's what they than say. Than it is necessarily a, a degree these days. Maybe. I think. But I the know. thing is. They is, go to a big state school with sure. so many more students and such a bigger net. Right. The thing I saw that was like the most foolish thing you can do is to go to a state school that's out of state for you because the education oh, right, right. you get at that state school is going to be virtually identical yeah, to the education you get, get at the in-state school, but you're paying three to four times as much for that same education. But your parents don't live an hour away. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. But surely there's another state school yeah. four hours away or two hours away or whatever. I, I get wanting to be away no, from your sure. parents or whatever. I totally get that. But, like, figure out another way. Like, yeah. going to a different state school is a not a good idea. Agreed. And, you know, you can just flush all this advice down the toilet, kids. But um, what you really shouldn't do, I think, is go to that super expensive private school that has, like, 1,200 students. Yeah. Because you're not – the networking opportunities there are mm-hmm. so slim. Right. You know, well, it's, uh, they they say that people who borrow for a liberal, liberal arts degree mm-hmm. um, typically have the hardest time <laughs> repaying think? it. Yeah, even if they come from the um, socioeconomic class that is more likely to repay it, that could repay it, uh-huh. because the wages don't pan out to be yeah. anything that that can really pay off a, a really. So you have a really expensive education, and then you with, sit in a coffee shop degree. reading poetry. <laughs> Yeah, that that that, that doesn't you graduate, pay very well. Yeah, not pay well. and it's not all about money. Totally, I totally get that. Chuck gets that too. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not the point, and it's not the answer to to everything. Is money's not the answer to everything? No, but having lifelong debt that you will never get out from yeah, under that's crippling. Is is it's it's hard to fathom at age seventeen. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully your parents are worried about this and and, and saying yeah. like, hey, you need to be thinking about this. You shouldn't do that and giving you good advice. But if they're not, please, please seriously sit there and consider whether what you're going to spend an astronomical amount of money on mm-hmm. is actually worth it. Yeah, because it's not just about money, but having that mountain of debt at 21 years old really narrows your opportunities in life. Yeah, and if you, you might st- think it broadens opportunities yeah. to have gone to this school, but if you've got $90,000 in student debt, you've you it narrows your opportunities. It just does. On, on not opportunities, but on the paths that you might be able to take. Right. Well, you're probably going to be in a situation where you don't have the luxury of saying, "I'm going to wait for a better job offer to come along." Right. You're going to be like, "Just give me a give me a job, please. Yeah. I'll take whatever." And you're going to be very unhappy. What's more, there's a really high likelihood that the the more astronomical your debt and the lower your wages, mm-hmm. that you're going to default on that, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. But once you start defaulting on loans, then you really are on a hard path because credit opportunities mm-hmm. are closed to you. Um, you get harassed all the time. Yeah. There's just it's it's there's, it's a lot. It's a bad jam. Bad things can happen if you owe people too much money, even the federal government. 
All right, we should take a break, but it's really occurring to me how smart we are and how every child in America needs to be listening to us right now. All right, we're going to come back right after this. And you just made me really nervous. <laughs> All right, kids. We're going to catch some heat for this, aren't we? We're going to, nah. We're going to talk because I guarantee you there are parents that are going to be like, hey, you should listen to this. Yeah. You want to listen to me? Listen to Josh and Chuck, That's you right. stupid heroes. You want to go to Sarah Lawrence? Listen to these guys. Yeah. Don't blow it all in pot. <laughs> Uh, all right. Sarah Lawrence. So now we're talking about private loans. Where is Sarah Lawrence? Mm, is that Massachusetts? It's it seems like a probably. Massachusetts. Every school's in Massachusetts, isn't it? I thought, yeah, a lot of them are. <laughs> yeah, they are all in Massachusetts. That's one of the great uh, Spinal Tap jokes is uh, when they talk about canceling a Boston show. They say, uh, oh, it's all right. It's not a big college town. <laughs> <laughs> Dave liked that one. So, uh, and you finally saw it, right? I've seen it before, yeah. I okay. I don't right. know why you can't take this kernel of information and, and subsume it into your okay. general <laughs> it's, awareness. It's subsumed. So private loans, um, you there are a bunch of little bells and whistles that a private lender can offer you that a federal government loan will not. They can be like, hey, we'll knock off a little quarter of a percentage point if you sign up for auto pay. If you refer people, you might get a little kickback. The guys they send to your house to break your legs are usually really well-dressed and polite. If you pay on time, you might get a little discount uh, along the way. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are little fun things like that that they can do that the federal government does not do or can't do maybe. Right. Uh, sometimes they say you can defer this until you graduate six months after. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about deferments in more detail in a minute. Mm-hmm. But it's also a private lender, so the only thing they care about is taking your money. Sure, and they know how to get, they know how to lend it, and they know how to get it. That's right. One of the other things, the other cons about um, going to a private lender for a loan is like they might say, "No, you can't have it." Sure, that's a huge distinction um, from a federal loan. The federal government analyzes your ability to pay um, as a kid. You're, they're just going to say, yes, fine, come on in. Here's right. your money. Mm-hmm. If it's a plus loan and your parents are on the hook, they don't look at your parents' credit score. They don't look at your parents' debt-to-income ratio, meaning essentially their ability to repay the loan. I think they do look at their credit score. They look at their credit worthiness. Oh, well, sure. And there's a big difference. Yeah, Basically, yeah. they look to see, do your parents have any negative reporting on them? Right. Like, have they defaulted on other loans in the past? No? Great. We don't need any other information. Yeah, I see what you mean. Not no, they pay their bills, but they also only have 5% of their income left after right. their bills are paid, and this is a horrible hardship for us. Yeah. But please lend us the money anyway. A private lender is going to be like, your parents' debt-to-income ratio is too high. We're not going to give you this. Or like, I hate to break it to you, 17-year-old, but your parents right. are in a really bad financial situation. Right. In case you didn't know. <laughs> yeah. They had to sell the food truck and the Airstream <laughs> to put you through college. That's right. So the private lender may turn you down. That's another con, too. Yeah. Um, you can get a co-signer. Of course, this is when you get um, like usually one of your parents on board or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they're of course on the hook for it, just like they it is their loan. Yeah. 
but lenders offer a couple of different things. You can get a fixed loan. Or you can get a variable loan. Those variable ones, you know, if anyone learned anything from the housing uh, crisis, yeah. they can be very dangerous yeah. uh, because they're based on a couple of things. The LIBOR, uh, London Interbank Offered Rate, mm-hmm. uh, and the Prime Rate, and that's when if you have, like, the best credit in the world, uh, you're going to get that rate. Right. But and, and, the variable rate can vary, and so three years into school, you could be paying a different rate. Yeah, because those rates change. That prime rate and the library rate change, and so they're taking that as the base rate and then adding to it percentages based on your creditworthiness. That's right. And then that's the interest rate you pay, and because those base rates change, your interest rate changes. And if those go up dramatically, your monthly bill goes up dramatically. From yeah. month to month, it can just kind of swing kind of wildly, and that's not good for the old ticker when you open those envelopes or get that email with your monthly bill. Yeah, we dodged a bullet with that with our house loan because we had one of those variable arms. Oh, yeah. And it just didn't bite us in the butt. Oh, that's good. We just got kind of lucky. I remember hearing about that with the subprime mortgage debacle. Oh, yeah. You know, people were getting these loans and the first four years it was easy street and then Mm -hmm. year five would come and the payments would just balloon. Boing. Um, So, yeah, that's variable rate. You can also get fixed rate, although it's usually higher Mm -hmm. than what you're signing up for, but you know exactly what you're getting through the life of the loan. And that's what the um, federal government loans offer is a fixed rate. Right. Almost always lower than what you're going to get from a private lender. Right. So if you're going to a private lender, you're probably going because you have exhausted the money that you got from the federal government. Yeah. Um, The private loans are still going to disperse the money to your school which I didn't know as well. Um, yeah, everybody's just going around you. That stuff drives me crazy. It's like, I'm borrowing. Give, give it to me. me. the money. <laughs> but they're like, no. I guess because they're like, and There he goes with 17. his bindle bag. Exactly. <laughs> they're like, you're 17. You can't be trusted with well, $30,000 check, <laughs> you know? It's not the worst thing in the world to maybe do that. Agreed. It would still drive me crazy, though. So repaying these loans, uh, there are a bunch of different ways you can structure these. Uh, with private loans, you got a few different options. Um, full deferral, and deferral means, you know, while I'm in school, I don't want to work. I don't want to pay off this loan. So just give me the money. Mm-hmm. Give it to me, and I'm not going to work. And I'm not going to pay anything until six months after I graduate. And they say, we'll give it to your school instead. Right. And you go, fine. <laughs> and they'll say, fine, but you're going to be paying that interest. You know, that's still accruing the whole time. Right. You're not making any payments whatsoever until None. after you graduate or leave school, six months after sometimes. Right. But like you were saying, the interest is accruing and like— It's going to be a bigger payment It's in the going end. to be an eye-popping payment when you, when you start finally making payments. Right. Uh, depending on how much money you make when you graduate and start paying, you can deduct some of that interest on your taxes, about up to 2500 bucks. Currently, yeah. So that's nice. Right. Uh, immediate repayment means you're in school, you get this loan, but you start paying every month just while you're in school because you're smart. Got a job at Mexicali Grill? That's right. Start making some payments. Yep, start making those payments, at least on interest. Um, you have an option, I think, whether to pay interest uh, or not. Yeah, there's interest-only payments, too, right. which is basically like I want to pay all just the interest on my loan mm-hmm. um, so that I know exactly what I'm paying when I, when I finally start paying off the principal after I graduate. Or you can even make partial interest payments, which is – just you're just keeping it from being this, this tidal wave. That's right. Of interest when you finally start making payments. Uh, federal. Plus also, I think, and this is this is just a uh-huh. little bit for me. 
just getting in the habit of making payments, even if it's just a yeah, little bit it's good. every month, uh, has got to help ease that transition when mm-hmm. you finally do start attacking it after college. Yeah, we should have a little bell in here to ding every time we give a little personal nugget. No, you know what we need? We need a, an arm extender so we can pat ourselves on the back loudly <laughs> every time we, we give one of these. That's a good idea. They make those, the little robot arm grabbers. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I also, I think we should just say, bear saying one more time, uh-huh. even though our school was paid for, paid for it ourselves, we're, we don't have student loans, we totally sympathize with anybody who's struggling Absolutely. with student loan debt. Like, that's, yes. that sucks. And, like, that's, we don't want you to feel like we're no. talking down to you by giving you this advice. Not at all. Okay. That's a very nice thing to say, though. Uh, federal loans, it's a little bit different with the repayment structure. Um, you can, just like with the private loans, you can have that option of full deferral if you want. Um, but the federal government has this deal where between like 10 and 30 years, they say you can repay this thing in a standard way mm-hmm. or the extended way. Mm-hmm. I think standard is 10, extended is 25. Right. But if you consolidate loans, it can go up to 30. Yeah, in the private lending world, consolidation is called refinancing. It's basically taking all of your loans and combining them into one new loan. Well, it's also called loan consolidation. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but in this case, from what I saw, it's like the government calls this consolidation. The lend, private lenders call it refinancing. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Swear to God. <laughs> but um, with the when you're consolidating the federal loans, mm-hmm. you're not saving money. You're just making it easier on yourself. That's right. When you refinance the private loans or with a private lender, you're probably going to save money because not only can you consolidate or refinance your private loans, mm-hmm. if you have federal loans, you can consolidate them with the private lender. That's right. They go in, pay off your loans to the federal government, and they say, now you pay us. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's at a lower rate. Maybe it's at a fixed rate. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're doing that, you're probably doing it to make it so that you're paying less every month or over the course of the, the loan. That's right. If a federal loan, if you go the graduated repayment route over that 10 years, uh, repayments start low um, monthly and then they increase over time with the supposition that your salary is increasing over time. Right. Which makes sense. And so that's I think the standard one or the graduated one, those are the that's the, the default setting. When you start repaying your loan. Yeah. But what a lot of people don't realize is that the federal government on their loans offer um, what are called income-based repayment plans. Yeah, income-driven. They make a lot of sense. They're a really good idea. Yeah. I saw – I read a really um, great article from Brookings, I believe, basically saying like here's all the ways that the the student loan uh, situation is just totally broken. Mm -hmm. But – it's it's based on some really good ideas. It just needs to be fixed in some ways. It was written by uh, Adam Looney. It's called A Better Way to Provide Relief to Student Loan Borrowers. Really interesting stuff on Brookings. But um, one of the things he says is, like, the default should be a repay um, income-based yeah. repayment. The R-E-P-A-Y-E, revised pay-as-you-earn type. Because what it is, it says, okay, what's your income? Mm-hmm. Every year you you file a new income report. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they say, well, they take 150% of the poverty limit, the, the whatever the government says the poverty level is. They subtract the two and you pay 10% of that. Yes. That's your payment. Right. Okay. So um, it, it actually is, is set up so that as you start to make more money, your payments go up 
But if you don't ever really start to make more money, mm-hmm. you may, you pay about the same. So the whole the whole idea behind all the income based repayment solutions is that if you if your diploma is paying off, mm-hmm. great. Yeah. If it's not, we're not going to like we're not going to treat you like the people who are benefiting from the college experience that they had. Right. You with the philosophy degree. Bless your heart. Go start thinking about <laughs> existential risks. That's the best thing you could do. Uh, there are other different kinds of income-driven repayment options. Um, you talked about revised pay-as-you-earn. There's also pay-as-you-earn, income-based repayment, income-contingent repayment. Uh-huh. And they're all just tweaked versions of sort of the same idea. Yeah. Wherein you're figuring out how much you can pay out of your discretionary income. Or yeah. rather, they're figuring it out for you. <laughs> exactly. It can be, you know, between 10 and 20 years to pay off. It can be 10% of your discretionary income. Uh, in the worst case, it could be 20% of your discretionary income. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's a set amount and it's income. It reflects the amount of money that you make. So it's pretty right. cool. Um, the other great thing about these with the federal government that you are not going to get from a private lender is after the term of your loan – Right, ten years, twenty years, whatever, thirty years. I mm-hmm. think if you get like a the super duper extended version, mm-hmm. they say, okay, well, you tried to pay it off. Um, what this this amount that's left over, we're just going to discharge. You don't have to pay it. It's going to be forgiven. Oh, are we talking forgiveness? I think so. All right. Do you want to take a break first? Uh, yeah, let's take a quick break, and we'll we'll get more specific about forgiveness right after this. We'll call it a cliffhanger. All right, so you teased forgiveness. Teased it so hard. Uh, <laughs> You're the one who said bend over and I'll make a deposit. <laughs> I don't want to hear it from you. Um, I'm sorry again, parents with children listening. That's right. There is a plan called the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Plan that what you were talking about, under certain circumstances, if you they will forgive your remaining balance – um, if you have been paying for that 10 years or 120 qualifying months, mm-hmm. um, you are uh, working full-time for a qualifying sure. employer, which is a government or a nonprofit that is a true nonprofit. So you can't like go work for the Democratic National Committee or something like that. Yeah, it has to be a nonpartisan nonprofit. That's right. But it can literally, from what I saw, any 501c3 organization that isn't uh, partisan – Mm-hmm. or involved in labor unions, it would qualify. Yeah, but here's the thing is uh, these got a bit of a bad rap when that first wave came through because uh, 99% of these relief applications were rejected. But then other people pointed out that, you know what, some of these people didn't make those 120 payments. Some of these people filled out things incorrectly on their applications. They weren't eligible. They didn't work for a qualifying employer. Mm-hmm. So, like, all the things you said you had to do, like, a lot of people didn't do these. Right. So, I don't know if we have a real good percentage number. I don't think they were just rejecting people. Like, just for fun? Yeah. No. We'll have a better, I guess, better view of it next year or the next couple of years. But the point of it is to drive people into 
um, careers like being a cop or a firefighter or for sure. working for a nonprofit. Because, again, after 10 years, just 10 years of making payments, once you've made that 120th payment, they say, thanks for the memories. You don't have to pay anymore. It's not bad. Your, your loan is gone. Sometimes tens of thousands yeah. of dollars just gone, and you still get to keep that degree, plus you're 10 years into a career that you hopefully are really happy with. That's right, because that's how it works. Exactly. <laughs> um, here's the thing, though, is <laughs> loan forgiveness. Uh, there's something called a tax bomb, and it works a little something like this. Uh, you eventually will get taxed because whatever they forgive – you have to count as income, and then you are taxed on that income. Right. They always got their hand out. So this this is not you for— You think you've gotten away with something. This is not for that 10-year one. The 10-year one, did you say, is called the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Plan? That's right. Okay. That one, the tax bomb doesn't apply. This is for the forgiveness for just regular federal student loans, where somebody's been paying for 20 years or right. 25 years. Whatever's left, the federal government says— you know what? You did it. You were you faithfully paid this stuff off, but you just never made enough money to really pay it off. So it, we're going to forget it's about it. It's clear that you're not going anywhere in life. <laughs> but but um, that that amount that's left over, we're going to we're going to count that as as income mm-hmm. on your income tax. So say you have thirty thousand dollars left. Yeah. If you're a high income earner by that time, well, you which could pay you probably aren't though. If that's right, yeah. exactly. But let's say let's say all of a sudden you just had a huge uptick in your salary in two years before that twentieth year of payments came right. along, um, and it, it you just still had a big amount left over. You could be paying thirty seven percent on that. So uh, if you had thirty grand left over and you were in the highest earner bracket, mm-hmm. uh, you would owe eleven grand in taxes on that debt forgiveness. Yeah. The thing is, some people who know about this stuff say there's no way the federal government's actually going to do this to yeah, people. Yeah, because we're not there yet. No, we've got about 10 years before the first people who um, are eligible for that will come, will, will, be able, will be able to test that. Yeah, and we should also point out that it's all relative. You know, if you are not in a high tax bracket, right. it could still be a big burden on you because you're not making that much money. Sure. But when you reach that that right, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know what I mean. But hopefully, some observers are saying they won't they won't do that to anybody. Other people say I don't know. You know, like there's if you default, which we'll talk about in a second. If you default on federal student loans, they take your your tax refund. So who knows? Maybe they will charge people with that tax bomb at the end. Maybe. <laughs> so defaulting. That means, well, that could mean a few things. If you're a day late, you're delinquent. Dollar if short. If you're if you're three months late, if you're ninety days late, uh, then they're going to report you to the credit bureaus. Um, if you don't make a payment for two hundred and seventy days, then you're finally considered in default, and that uh, you don't want to do that. You don't want to default on any loan. No. In life, because hey, it's the wrong thing to do. Sure. If you can help it at all. Right. Um, I know sometimes life happens in such a way that you can't, but if you can avoid defaulting on that loan, please don't. Yeah. The thing is, is like when people are calling you every do. day, <laughs> right? Yeah. When, um, no. Please avoid right, defaulting. Right, yeah. yeah. Man, that took a second. Huh? Jeez. Um, with, when people are calling you and harassing you every day, um, apparently the federal government uses a company called Navient 
who are particularly despicable when it comes to some of the, the stuff they'll do. I think they had like 500 federal lawsuits filed against them in one year. Really? And like the second largest competitor to them had like 40. Wow. So yeah, they're not very well liked. But they, um, they, they, when they're calling and harassing you multiple times a day, the last thing you want to do is reach out to them and say, hey, how can I get back on track to paying you guys? Mm-hmm. You just want it to go away, yeah. right? But like that's the opposite of what you should do. If you find that you can't pay your bill, you should get in touch with your lender and say, I can't pay my bill. I need to make this more manageable. Yes. What can we do? The problem is one of the first things they'll offer is something called a forbearance. That's right. And that is just, hey, take a little time. Don't make any payments. Get yourself together. Yep. Um, Maybe you need a couple months. Maybe Mm -hmm. you need a couple years. Who knows? But we're going to put you in forbearance. So you're not delinquent on your account. You're not in default. But the problem is, is you're still accruing interest. And that's actually not the best solution that you want. Yeah. You're like, yeah, so you turn the interest switch off, right? And they're like, oh, no, no, no. we don't have, know how to do that. There is no switch. They're like, oh, sorry, <laughs> couldn't hear you. Bye. Yeah. Um, so you're not, you're, not in, uh, you're not in default, but you're still accruing interest. You're just not making payments. And the problem is, is apparently these, um, the servicing companies that actually make the collections on the loan payments for the government or for, for private lenders even too, mm-hmm. it's way more expedient to be like, hey, we don't want you to be in default anymore. Right. How about a forbearance? Okay, we'll get you in the program. Bye. And it sounds really good to you. Right, exactly. You're like, oh, great. I could use six months or a year. But if they would take five more minutes, they would say, actually, th- if you're a federal loan um, borrower, there's all these income-based payments that yeah. are going to make it way more realistic for you rather than just kicking the can down the road and having to face this in six months when your forbearance is over. Yeah. We could put you in one of these income-based plans and you'll be better off. And a lot of people don't know that. So the forbearance does seem like a great basically gift from God all of a sudden. Right. When actually it's a, it's a, it's a bite in the, in the bottom but from the horse god <laughs> that you aren't expecting. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about consolidation. That is uh, can be a very good idea. Uh, we, what we haven't talked is uh, rehabilitating your account. If you go through a period in life where you default mm-hmm. and you're like, screw it, I can't or won't or refuse to make my payment, um, you can pick up a year later and say like, ah, geez, is it too late? And you know what they'll say? Oh, no. Come, brother. Come, sister. <laughs> yeah. Get, get out that checkbook. You can rehabilitate that account, which is a really good thing. Start making payments again. That's all you have to do. Uh, and it's and if you couldn't afford that payment before, they'll even restructure that back to what you were talking about, to your income. Like if you, let's say, uh, have a salary reduction in life. Sure. And that's why you defaulted in the first place. Right. Pick up the phone. They will, or just answer the phone. They're going to be calling <laughs> yeah, you. They'll be calling you. Uh, and rehabilitate it and say, "Listen, well, let's let's talk this through. Um, I'm a good person. I really want to pay this." And they'll say, "Great. What can you afford? Uh, let's look at your numbers." <laughs> and then you start paying it. And then all of a sudden, uh, if you've paid nine payments over ten months, uh-huh. then you are considered current. Your default status is removed. Credit bureaus think you're a great person again. And uh, you only get one shot at this, though. Right. That rehabilitation, you get one chance at. One chance. Um, and that's just with federal loans, right? I believe I'm, so. I'm pretty sure it's yeah, just Yeah, that's federal. just federal. So, um, 
yeah, ultimately you want to stay out of that. There is a second chance with the federal government, but it's not necessarily easy to do. Right. Um, so with one of the things that happened with all of the student loan, there's like a student loan debt bubble that a lot of people are worried about. Mm, yeah. Because there's like $1.6 trillion out there mm-hmm. right now, which is good in one way because with student loans, the system is set up so that the people who are benefiting from it now, people who are borrowing to go to college, mm-hmm. are paying back into it later to benefit the people who need to borrow that are coming behind them. Right. Okay, so it's actually a pretty interesting, good system. But the problem is with that much money out and as many people at risk of defaulting on these loans, a lot of people are worried about it. Yeah. One of the reasons that people are worried about being uh, of the risk of default among mm-hmm. a large section are what um, some people call sums. Right. People who have some college education. Did you see that? Yeah, people who went to college and, like, didn't graduate, basically. Yeah, and one of the problems from that Obama initiative to expand um, higher education was to say, oh, yeah, online colleges we've never heard of before. Sure, come on in. Um, Barely accredited colleges, come on in. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, basically scams, Come on in and take all this money. I won't mention a very prominent. No, we can't. Okay. <laughs> okay. I looked it up. That didn't apply. Oh, okay. Not even accredited. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Um, so uh, no. So the the fact that this that the 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 country was awash mm-hmm. in easy money. Yeah. For college education. And that no one was watching the sharks who were coming to soak it up mm-hmm. means that a lot of people went to schools that they got zero benefit from. Right. But walked away with a lot of money that they owed. That's right. And so these are the sums. So basically these people would have been better off with just a high school education mm-hmm. because to an employer, a little bit of college doesn't doesn't help. No. Uh, you have to go graduate. Yeah, you, you don't walk in and say, "Well, I spent three years and." Uh, <laughs> so close, yeah, Jim. Jim, is it, can I call you Jim? Yeah, sure. So close, Jim. <laughs> What's called the sheepskin effect, which is the actual increase in wages that you can typically expect from a college diploma. Mm-hmm. There's no proportion to it. Right. If you get three years of of schooling, you don't get three quarters of a sheepskin effect. It's all or nothing. That's right. And you only get it when you graduate. So if you don't graduate, you got nothing from that bo- that increase in wages, mm-hmm. and you actually owe money yeah. of, through student loans. So there's a big problem associated with student loans. Yeah. And a lot of people are kind of worried about it. Um, and one of the things that they're, that is causing worry, too, are people have figured out how to take a bad situation and make it even worse. Mm-hmm. Because some lenders, and I think the federal government's among them, take student loans, package them up, and sell them as securities. It's like the housing crisis. It's exactly like the housing crisis yeah. with one big difference, that subprime mortgage crisis. Mm-hmm. Even if somebody defaulted on a loan, there was still a house that could be taken and sold. Right. And that I, I, sounds extraordinarily heartless, but I'm saying from an investor's point of view. Well, that was a physical thing. There's collateral. Yeah. With the student loan, there's nothing backing it. Yeah. If the person defaults, then you just lost everything from this investment. Mm-hmm. But the idea that people are like, oh, there's a student loan bubble. Let's figure out how to turn it into an investment that is really ill-advised. Yeah. That's what I think something like $280 billion of that $1.6 trillion is securitized. Wow. I think Mark Cuban, one of his big deals is student loan uh, 
don't know. Like paying it off or relieving it? Trying to help solve the problem. Yeah. I think he's one of the ones that's kind of been shouting like there's a big problem coming. There's a huge problem coming. I think a lot of people know it, but very few people know what to do about it. Right. There's one other thing. There's a proposal by Rand Paul that was brought to committee on December 3rd, 2019. And it basically says you can get like 5,600 bucks out of your 401k. Right. Penalty free and tax free Mm -hmm. if you use it to pay off your student loans. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, It's a math problem, like just do the math. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's sort of like robbing Peter to pay Paul. Right. You're not going to have that money later on. Right, exactly. But um, depending on how the numbers work out, it could benefit you. It could benefit you in the short term. But what some people are saying is like, no, dude, we're going to have a big enough problem with a lot of people not prepared for retirement in 30 years. We should not be encouraging those same people to take whatever money they have saved away for retirement Mm -hmm. to pay off their student loans. It's not a good idea. It's not for everyone. It could be for some people. It depends on how your life goes. Well, yeah. Plus, a lot of people are like, I don't have five grand in my 401k. What's a 401k? All I can think about is my student loan debt. Yeah. It's 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 a bad situation. I'm very curious to see what happens. Yeah, me too. And, uh, Go to, go to school where you want to go to school, kids, but I'm telling you, try to make it someplace you can afford and really, really, really look at the benefit. Yeah. And the uh, and and if that outweighs, if it's worth it, you think, to spend all that money, just, just think more about it. Well, you want to know <laughs> one thing that's really despicable that I came across that I did not understand, Chuck. The federal government is not allowed to share data on outcomes – from schools. Right. So like if you went to a private school and you just got a wash in debt mm-hmm. and you make 10 grand a year, there's no way to share that with prospective students right. who say, "Oh, I want to stay away from that school. Yeah. Or I want to stay away from that program." You go to Sarah Lawrence, the average salary as a like all that, outgoing senior is blank. Like they don't share that. So yeah. the the what we're advising people to do, it's very tough to do because the federal government is yeah. barred from sharing that information. I think I mean more look within. Sure. <laughs> You got anything else? Nope. This is a big one. We could talk about this forever. This one, Chuck, may have broken a record. I had 64 tabs open on just student loans today. I believe it. 64. That's too many tabs. It's a lot of tabs. Okay. Uh, Since I said it's a lot of tabs and Chuck said something horrid about deposits, (laughs) it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this two listener mails because they're both pretty short and both uh, corrections. Uh, hey guys, been listening a long time, really love the show. I finally have some info that I can share with you regarding a recent episode. I was listening to the Coyotes episode and Josh was searching for a word uh, for something that is active at dawn and dusk. Oh yeah. And I'm here to tell you that word is crepuscular. Which sounds like a Pete and Pete kind of word. It does. The crepuscule is another word for twilight or dawn and dusk. Uh, so preca- uh, crepuscular means of the twilight or an animal that is active at that time. Hope that helps at your next trivia night. That is Sarah from Wisconsin. And uh, now we're going to read one from Bethany, a correction uh, for my pronunciation of Tagalog. Hey, guys. (laughs) We got a few of these. I listen to your show every day during work and love listening to what you have to offer because of my frequency of listening. I know you're always looking to improve pronunciation and want to be respectful of other cultures. I'm currently on your latest short stuff on the murder of... Uh, Teresita Basa and or Basa and wanted to point out the correct way to pronounce the Filipino language. Chuck said Tagalog. It's actually Tagalog. 
You were thinking of those Little Debbie cookies. Or no, Girl Scout cookies. Tagalongs? Yeah. <laughs> no, I just didn't know. That's how I pronounce it too, Chuck. I uh, just wanted to help where I can say thank you for continuing to produce awesome content year after year. Once again, it's Tagalog. Tagalog. Tagalog? Tagalog. I think. Well, this is G-A-H, not G-U-H. Somebody else said G-U-H. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> That's from Bethany. Thanks a lot, Bethany. Uh, and from Sarah, too. Two listener mails, two top-notch ones. Uh, if you want to try your hand at sending a top-notch listener mail, wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 